Rachel are away somewhere. I know that Dagmar and all are coming back tomorrow. Jeff and uh, Mariam are in down in the U.S. And I forgot the others who are missing. Okay, guys, um, before we broke off about two and a half weeks ago, we were talking about presence. And so we'll continue down that track. And uh, today, uh, I just want to first remind you of the things we've spoken about. So first, we started off with this premise from Exodus 33, verses 16 and 17, where Moses says to God, the thing that distinguishes us as a people from all the other nations is your presence. So that's the first statement we need to remember. What distinguishes us as a people of God from other peoples who have other gods? It's that in us lives the God of the universe. We carry His presence. We also said that there's a difference between carrying His presence and manifesting His presence. And that's what we are trying to do through these series of teachings so that we manifest His presence. Because people knew that Israel as they walked through the desert had an amazing God in their midst because of the things that were happening with them. Leave alone the fact that there was a pillar of cloud and fire. Let's assume you couldn't see that. They could still see quail and manna and other things happening. So they were aware of His presence. Are people aware of the presence of God in you and I? Because that's a manifest presence of God. And that needs to happen next, guys. I mean, I was going through my notes from 2009 onwards. And I'm reading some of it. I'm thinking, great, there was tremendous revelation. But let's get down to the nitty-gritty of now showing God. Showing God. Then we said that the uh, primary purpose of the church is twofold. And what are they? Reveal the Father and reveal the Father's business. The next question is, if we are to reveal the Father's business, what does the Father's business involve? And we talked about two things. To give life, John 10.10, and to destroy the works of the destroyer. That's how the primary purpose of the church is to reveal the Father and to reveal the Father's business. We reveal the Father through a lifestyle where the character of God is evident. And we've, we've honed in on that for years at Acts 29. And then we now come to the next stage where we say we now also reveal the Father's business which is give life and destroy the works of the destroyer. That was the other thing we spoke about. And then we said that the word presence comes from, I'm going to use Rosalind's favorite color now. The word presence comes from a Hebrew word that sounds something like this. And it's the same word for face. And we said that when it comes to the presence of God, when it comes to seeing him face to face it's one of the hardest it's one of the hardest habits to cultivate guys I mean if I went around this room it would be embarrassing starting with me at um, how the one thing that we don't cultivate is face to face time with the God of the universe who lives in us but, but we've gotten so full of revelation the more you know I find that the less time you are willing to actually spend with God 
the more you know about God, the less you think you need to spend time with Him. And so there's this thing that we need to once again come back to guys. Ask God for a hunger so that you will once again go back to face to face presence time. Whatever you want to call it. Father time or presence or seeking His face. Go back to asking God for hunger because most of us have even lost the hunger. Hunger will lead to intimacy. As I begin to hunger after someone, I begin to get more intimate with that person because there is a desire that God now births in me. So Jacob, shouldn't you have the desire already? I, I should, but unfortunately because I know so much, because I do so much, I don't necessarily think that seeking his face is any longer as important as it perhaps used to be. It's, it's a falling away from first love. One of the things that happens to couples that have been married for a while, and it usually happens around the fifth year, is that they begin to lose the, the, the excited fondness for each other. And there's a settled, well, you're around kind of a feeling that happens. And people say it starts around the fifth year, if you're not careful. The first two years are pretty decent. How long have you guys been married? Well, good for you. So, hunger, intimacy. Intimacy leads to awareness. Stop giggling, Jason. Hunger leads to intimacy. Intimacy leads to awareness. So the more intimate you are with someone, the more aware you are of them. The more aware you are of them. Oh, sorry, not awareness. Intimacy leads to knowledge of the person. And knowledge leads to awareness of the person. And awareness leads back to a greater hunger. And the cycle begins to spin on its own. So if I were to go around this room and ask whether people in this house actually were able to find deliberate time to love on God, to be loved by God this week, You'll be surprised at our answer. We didn't. Most of us didn't. I'm not even talking about Bible reading. I'm talking about a fondness that causes you to locate him in the middle of 10 emails, 4 phone calls, um, the fact that I only have one hour to get to where I need to, the pressures that are put on me by my children, by my spouse, by my work, by church, in between all that and sleep and just tiredness in between all that to locate where the God of the universe is so that once I locate him I can say behold I have come over the hills upon the mountains to you I will run my beloved I've captured you've captured my heart when does that happen guys when does that happen for us it's become a rarity some days it will be behold you have come over the hills. Some days it will be, and behold, I saw an open door in the heavens, and I heard a voice saying, Ascend and enter. Another day it will be, and I saw peals of lightning and flashes of thunder, and in between that I heard a voice speaking to me. Another day it will be, What is your name? If you do not tell me your name, I will not let you go. 
as in wrestling with God. But unfortunately in this room, we have lost out on this. Go ahead, man. Yeah, it does. It yeah, it does tie in, but praise and worship seems limited to a Sunday morning nowadays. Where is the adoration? And if it is not great on you, man, I've had days of adoration during the last month that were great, where it was not necessarily singing, but just talking to him and adoring him with words that I've never spoken before. And then there are days that go by where this is not important, where I can manage without this. Guys, we need to once again cultivate this habit. I only have to locate him. Matt, it doesn't... Surprisingly not. When I wake up, things on my mind is, do I have to wake up? Second is uh, how many cups of coffee in the day third that there are so many emails meeting waiting fourth I have got to make this phone calls because those countries are at least 12 and a half hours away five but I've got to be here at this time and in the process it's so hard to locate him I use the word locate maybe for you it's a different word and don't think that because you're retired this will be easy I'm retired in the sense I live like a retired person Um, Ruth stopped giggling the point being pardon I'm re-fired sorry so even that doesn't change this so guys cultivate this it's important I would so suggest to you that you find this time some of us don't even know what I'm talking about why? Because we we have perhaps never engaged in this cycle before. I was talking to Jason, asking him how did your week go, Jason? And Jason said it's been super busy. Entire week has gone by and he hasn't found this time. I have weeks like this where I'll prepare a sermon using what I need to read from the Bible but this is completely missing. The thing is I can go on like this for almost a year without you knowing it because I've done this for so long I can choose to get out of this not participate in it and yet for one year I can continue through what I know not out of a vibrant relationship with God because I've been doing this so long for some of you it's the same you've been doing it for so long this isn't as important this should increase as we grow older shouldn't it? the older we get in the Lord the the greater this should become. And so I encourage us to cultivate this. I'm saying to you, as seasoned Christians, it's one of the hardest habits to cultivate. And if you have gotten the hang of it, I'm saying to you, your life is doing much better than perhaps my life because I'm not consistent in this yet. Guys, so today we're going to talk about, this is just to sum up what we already did. Um, today we're going to talk about the characteristics of 
or the outworking of his manifest presence. If his presence is in us, here are some characteristics or some outworkings of what will happen if his presence dwells in us. Which also means then, that if these characteristics are absent, it means that the presence of God in me is shrouded, as in it's veiled. If the presence of God is in a people, these characteristics must be manifested. These outworkings must be manifested. And so here is the list of them. The first one is reconciliation, meaning if the presence of God is in a people, these are a people who are reconciled and do not have a problem in reconciling things. Two, prosperity. Three, fear of God, as in a reverence for God. Four, fearlessness, as in boldness. Five, signs and wonders. Six, zeal, as in a strength that comes from the very muscle of God, the uh, zealous. Uh, that doesn't define it exactly, but it's strength mixed with uh, an enormous uh, single-eyed passion. Seven, r- reproduction, as in mu- it's uh, reproduction is a co- combination of multiplying as a numerical growth and multiplying after its kind. Made in his image, we multiplied after his kind. Then Adam came along, and then Genesis 5 says, and then they were born in his kind. So when I say reproduction, I mean the ability to increase, not just in numbers, but in numbers that look like him. Eight, liberty, as in freedom. Because where the Spirit of God is manifest, there there is tremendous freedom individually and corporately. And nine, dominion. As in the ability to rule or have dominion over, which is the initial Genesis 1 mandate. And so there are these nine things that we'll be looking at over the next nine weeks, hopefully. Taking each one and saying, if... God is present in a people, these characteristics should be outworked in this people. Some of these you may already have in your life. That's awesome. I was talking to somebody and uh, we were talking about James and I was saying one of the things that I see present in James's life is boldness or a degree of fearlessness when it comes to voicing things. Now I'd like to increase in that. But there will be other areas in James's life where he needs to increase. Same with you. These are already present and some of them are prevalent in your life. Others are dominant. But this is what gives the world a look at, ah oh, shucks, these people have a distinct flavor because the God of the universe dwells in them. Any questions before we go on? Okay, Guys, when it comes to reconciliation, first thing that we already know is that God did reconcile us and there are three parts in a sense to the, what he did. Eh? And one 
he was our atonement. And so, his atonement, as in taking the wrath of God, his atonement satisfied, his atonement satisfied the justice of God. His atonement satisfied the justice of God. Then there's redemption. All these were worked out on the cross. Huh? And then there's redemption. His redemption ransomed us from hell, death, sin, Satan. Sickness, His redemption, danger, false doctrine, we can throw in a few other things. And then finally there's his reconciliation. Which raises us to the privilege to the high privilege of being... <laughs> sons of God thank you for that loud hallelujah so the atonement satisfied the justice of God by his being able to pour out his wrath on someone human who deserved to die redemption ransomed us from hell from death, from sin, from satan, from sickness and we can add a few more. But here was a ransom that was paid. And reconciliation now brings us back to our original position with God, where God through Christ reconciles the entire world, takes away the hostility, takes away the enmity, and raises up once again to that high privilege of being the sons of God. Because when you read Luke and the genealogy of Jesus, how does it end? It says, and Adam was the son of God raises us back to that place. Now guys, it's odd, eh? This is the intent, but this doesn't happen till these two are done. Till you recognize Christ as your atonement, until you recognize Him as the Redeemer, there is no reconciliation. Even though God reconciled the whole world to Himself through Christ. Amazing what He is doing. He wants to bring creation back to its original place. And what is that original place? The place of being the sons of God. That's his intent. Back to where Adam used to be. And so he reconciles the entire world through Christ and yet, unless you recognize his atonement and recognize him as redeemer, there is no reconciliation. So how do you define reconciliation? I know we've talked about this before. How do you recon de define reconciliation? W when, you, when you say to reconcile, what do you mean? To reconcile is to balance a ledger. To reconcile is to balance the ledger. So if there are two columns, there's a mutual change in both columns till there is harmony. Let me say it again. To reconcile is to balance the ledger. So if there are two columns, there's there's mutual change in both columns till they are in harmony. 
So let's assume in one column is guilt and hostility. <laughs> now God mutually adjusts it so that he removes the debt of guilt and hostility and credits you with the friendship of the father. Think of how ridiculous this thing is. On one hand, he removes the debt of guilt and hostility and then he credits you with the friendship of the father. That's what happens in reconciliation. Colossians 1, 21 and 22. Colossians 1, 21 and 22. Here's what it says. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Let me read that again. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Here's what's happening guys. In reconciliation, God becomes the auditor and he audits. God becomes the debtor and God becomes a penalized payee. So God is the auditor. He audits and finds there's a problem. He also takes on the role of the debtor who now has a debt to pay and who cannot pay it and therefore he also plays the role of the penalized pay who now has to pay at any cost and in the process you now have the columns adjusted so that you come into a place where the friendship of the father is credited to you this is a permanent thing for us guys permanent thing for us got to understand this because huh? some of us are thinking as we are talking about this well I know I'm saved no well, I know I'm saved, but look at what had to happen for the saving to happen. You know, guys, the knowledge of what God has done informs our talking, our witnessing, our everything. Otherwise, we get stuck in a rut and we say the same thing over and over again. And, and I was thinking that for, for, for Jesus Christ, I mean, this is God. Huh? I, I'm thinking of just me being accused or being shamed and how not to react requires a degree of nothingness but here is God he walks on the earth and he must have been so nothing in his heart to be accused, stripped shamed, beaten like a thief crucified and yet he says nothing man like a sheep being taken silence, silently to his shearer how does how we react when we are accused and shamed and stripped of our dignity it's like how could that happen to me Isaiah 54, 17, Father let your vindication come. We get so riled up sometimes. And yet here is God himself being accused, shamed, stripped, beaten like a thief and hung like a murderer. And he goes to the cross silent as a sheep before its shearers. You got to be really nothing to be able to take that without reacting. man. After all these years, this thing this person called Jesus still fascinates me in these things he does. What kind of man was he, man? For the joy that was set before him, endured. Even though so unjust. Doesn't say a word. 
Any questions before we go on? We won't finish this today, so I'll go on for another 15 minutes and stop and then continue next time. Any questions? Sure. Sorry? Yeah. I'm just using it because it's scripture. Yeah. Oh, sorry. To the slaughter. Yeah. So, uh, maybe Middle Eastern sheep are different. <laughs> Canadian sheep are like us, very individualistic, and we have an identity, and we have rights, and we have the sheep lawyer, and we have the sheep union. But in the Middle East, uh, sheep just go. Sheep are just sheepish, yeah. Anyways, it's scripture, so I'll hang with it. And then uh, maybe three weeks from now, Jason will give you uh, the real history behind the Hebrew sheep. Um, guys, reconciliation. We talked about reconciliation with God, and I'm not a, going down that road much because most of us understand it. But n- now talk about balancing the ledger sheet between you and me, you and your spouse, you and friends, you and people. Uh, we rarely talk about forgiveness in this church because it's a given, but because we are talking about these being characteristics of the manifest presence of God in us. Let's go down that road. Guys, at the end of the day, the way to balance ledgers between people is forgiveness. Forgiveness is the pathway to balancing the ledger. Forgiveness is the pathway to balancing the ledger or to reconciling. Forgiveness is the pathway. Because what does forgiveness do? It deals with debts that people owe us. Forgiveness deals with debts that people owe us. Forgiveness deals with debts that people owe us. So, if, if there is a debt that you owe me in terms of an explanation, in terms of an apology, forgiveness deals with that debt. Therefore, it's a pathway to reconciliation. Because reconciliation takes a column of debt, debt and reconciles. The ledger is made good. Yeah. Yeah, we will probably, um, I think we'll get to that part today and then see if, yeah, physically done. I think we'll get to that in the next 15 or 20 minutes, uh, but I, I may not be able to complete the second half. But let's see, if your question is answered, then great, otherwise you can ask it again. Um, guys, Matthew 18, 23 to 25, Matthew 18, 23 to 25, Matthew 18... Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished 
to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. Guys, the point being that um, forgiveness is a core kingdom value. Forgiveness is a core kingdom value. Jesus is here talking about a parable about the kingdom of God. And in the, in the parable he establishes the fact that, listen guys, if you say you're kingdom people, Jacob, then show me any area of unforgiveness in your life towards someone in the church or outside, amongst your relatives, relatives or towards your spouse. And there is a lack of the manifestation of the kingdom in that area. It's a core kingdom value. And strangely enough, there is room at the cross for rapists and murderers, and yet there is no room for victims who refuse to forgive. Strange. There's room at the cross for rapists and for murderers, and yet there is no room at the cross for some of us who have been victims of abuse, victims of hurt. There's no room at the cross for victims who refuse to forgive. That's how core this value of forgiveness is in the kingdom. Even, and, and notice, we are victims and yet there is no room for us at the cross when we refuse to forgive. And yet there is room for rapists and murderers. Unforgiveness, if you read that parable further, will show that unforgiveness will result in tormentors having the legal right to inflict us and to ravage us. Unforgiveness gives legal right to tormentors who now have the right to come and inflict or ravage us. I'm turning this one on uh, Matt. Matt? Yeah. Unforgiveness results in tormentors having legal right to inflict and ravage. I mean... It's ridiculous, but just think of how many of us Christians are caught in this trap. Huh? We harbor anger and withhold mercy from another, and yet we seek God for healing and expect to be healed. We harbor anger and withhold mercy from people, sometimes spouse to spouse, and yet seek God for our healing and expect healing. Surprised that sometimes these things are not working out. Because I'd suggest to you, not suggest, the Bible strongly says that, listen, when you are unforgiving, Jacob, tormentors have now a legal right to inflict and ravage you. It seems so unfair, absolutely. But then even the cross was such an unfair thing. Sometimes... The reason I refuse forgiveness is because my pain is greater than the sonship and the love and the great favor and forgiveness I have received from God. And that's absolutely possible. Eh? It's odd, but sometimes because I don't realize how much I've been forgiven, my pain is sometimes greater than the forgiveness I've received. 
And it, I find it very difficult then to release somebody. You can tell me all the stuff about, hasn't Jesus forgiven you? Yeah, yeah, he's forgiven me, but you have no idea what this person did to me. Sometimes our pain is greater than the undeserved forgiveness, the undeserved sonship, the undeserved love, and the great favor that I've received from God. And it's very possible to be in that situation. Jesus made this statement. He said, Jacob, I pray that you understand how much you've been forgiven so that you can forgive others. Guys, whenever the pain or the offense is the focus, know that it's going to be very hard for you to forgive cleanly. Even when I hear testimonies, and I hear these testimonies often, I've read books about this often, written by people who were abused or who were hurt, and you will find that the focus of the testimony or the focus of the book is on the offense and the abuse that was committed to them. Out of a 90-page book, 60 pages is on the offense and the abuse. And I would say to you that in their life, it's perhaps still a scab that is waiting to be pressed open. So when people come up and give testimony and they say how they were hurt, how they were abused, how this was done to them, how that was done to them, if that takes up the meat of a testimony, I would suggest to you that it's still a scab that is just waiting to be pressed open by some more pressure. Because as long as my focus is on the pain or the offense, invariably feelings will rise up again that have to do with unforgiveness. I'm not saying that forgiveness minimizes the hurt. I'm saying that it chooses not to focus on it. So when someone wrongs me and I have to forgive them, uh, I mean, I remember something that happened this year and surprisingly through someone in Acts 29. I remember going home and saying to the Lord, Father, i got to come to church tomorrow and you know how resentful I am right now with what was said. you got to help me not even focus on this because if I do tomorrow, I might use the pulpit as a bully pulpit and I don't want to. And it was surprising how God took it away because I've got to take away the focus from the resentment and the anger I feel. Because if I do, then Sunday morning when I come here and I look at you, I will use the pulpit to bully you. Or some words will come out of my mouth that are meant to actually affect you. When I say focus, I mean th- that incident that happened to me. It's reliving it again. And reliving it never heals me. Never heals me. So even in counseling and ministry and conversation and testimonies, don't necessarily encourage a person to relive the abuse done because it is not necessarily helping them get over it. If anything, it's... Uh, uh, yeah. Perhaps the first time, but what happens in Christian circles is we make them go over it again and again and again and again every time. Yeah, and that should be. Yeah, yeah, and that should be drawn out. But once it's drawn out, we don't need to go over and over it again different, yeah. Yeah, not a standard approach. 
I think the first, I mean, we may not get there today, but one of the things that is required is confrontation of an issue so that it can be brought out into the light because things flourish in darkness. So the first time it needs to be brought out into the light but not relived in the limelight again and again. Guys, forgive... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's because the focus is again on the same thing. Yeah. I'll forgive you, but I won't forget it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think this part will deal with it when we talk about forgiveness, what it actually means. Guys, on, forgiveness is not based on the merit of the offender. As in, it has nothing to do with, with whether the offender is sorry or not. It has nothing to do with it. Because that's an issue that the world always challenges Christians on. Because you see something heinous happening to a Christian, and the Christian forgives. And, and the world says, but how can you just forgive? This is like a free ticket. And yet, forgiveness is not based on the merit of the offender. It has to be given before it's asked. Strange, but it has to be given before it is asked. And you might think, no, Jacob, that's not right. Romans 5.8 says that while we were yet sinners, it is appropriated or received by the person only if he asks for it. But it cannot be held till the person asks. When, when this situation happened um, at Acts 29, the person perhaps was unaware of it or perhaps wasn't going to come and talk to me about it. But that doesn't mean that I now hold on to it till the person comes and asks. I got to release it immediately. The sooner I release it, the less toxic I'll become. Otherwise, I'm done for, man. If I was to wait for someone to ask, or if you were to wait till I asked you for forgiveness, what if I don't? So, so it has to be given before it is asked. While we were yet sinners, Romans 5.8 says, Jesus Christ died for us. So it's freely given, and this is the hard part, without strings attached, unconditional. Regardless of whether what they did is acknowledged or not, regardless of whether they confess to it or not, regardless of whether they repent or not, they appropriate it only when they begin to ask for it, or only when they begin to um, acknowledge it. But we give it without any uh, strings attached. So what am I doing? Here's what I'm doing, guys, when you do me harm, when you hurt me. Uh, here's what I'm doing. I'm giving up my right. I'm rejecting the right to settle scores. I'm rejecting the right to humiliate you. I'm rejecting the right to punish you. I'm rejecting the right to hold a grievance against you. What a ridiculous people these are. These people must be a people in whom God dwells because no one else can do that. Even our laws which are supposedly based on the Bible are based on Old Testament ways of doing things. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, capital punishment, all. We can always go to scripture and find a basis for that. But then here is a people who now have God living in them who who have a very different standard. When they are hurt and offended, when they are abused and betrayed, they reject the right, even perhaps an Old Testament biblical right, to punish, to humiliate, to continue to hold the grievance, 
to uh, settle scores. We reject that right. We don't go eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth. Do you see why reconciliation then becomes such a powerful display of the, char- of the outworking of the presence of God in a people? And in the process, I now demolish any platform on which I can build bitterness. I demolish any platform whereby tomorrow I can come and look for faults in you. I demolish any platform for hostility towards you. And I demolish any platform for a host of diseases that come with unforgiveness. So I'm, I'm collapsing this platform in my life because if I allow it to be built and it's built piece by piece as I let it go on for a while. As I do that, now what happens is in my life this platform is being built for bitterness, for hostility, for tomorrow having an attitude towards you and for a host of diseases. Oh, by the way, um, a short interruption before I go on. Uh, from now on, when new people come, uh, I've appointed Tavis to... Um, direct them to their chairs and Tavis will also let them know where the washrooms are because when new people come sometimes they don't know where the washrooms are and Tavis will also let them know where the offering box is so that's his responsibility so you may find him at the door and um, uh, if you need help in these three areas in terms of the washrooms in terms of where the offering box is or finding a seat to sit uh, Tavis, that's become Tavis's responsibility you're okay with that right Tavis? So, because um, we saw how well he did when we had the uh, op- uh, I- the first banquet at Himalaya, he and Jason were standing there. And after some time, I saw that Jason wasn't doing anything; he was just standing there. But Tavis was directing all the guests to the chairs. So I thought it's a good responsibility to have. I love this liner, and I. I was thinking of it this morning that this is so true of God and me and how this has to be the same with other people. Forgiveness is a power to free the offender from the offense. Forgiveness is the power. Just one sec, James. Forgiveness is the power to free the offender from the offense and not punish them or prove them wrong. Forgiveness is the power to free the offender from the offense and not punish them or prove them wrong. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. That is also that uh, bitterness rises up in my heart. Yeah. And so it. It, it, and when bitterness rises up in my heart, my usual desire is, I wish there was some way to humiliate this person or to bring them down a notch or to cause them some harm that will that will diminish them. That is the problem with bitterness. When I'm, a, when I'm bitter with you, I want to put you back and put you in a place where you are you're demeaned. And when I can't do that, then my only option is use sarcasm, use words, use actions that will somehow humiliate you or punish you or extract a pound of flesh. And if I don't get an opportunity for that, now it begins to build in me. Pardon? Yeah, totally. Which is why I need to eliminate it early. In a sense, guys, forgiveness is really participating in God's action because 
what did we say grace is? Grace is God giving himself to us bountifully, joyfully and uh, mercifully even though we don't deserve it. And somehow when I am not uh, going to hold on to uh, what you have wronged me in, I'm, I'm participating in the action of God. Where instead of hostility, I'm through the vehicle of kindness beginning to offer you bountifully, joyfully and mercifully. Undeservedly. I'm offering you um, uh, I'm offering you not unkindness but kindness. Very hard thing to do. Huh? Guys, f- I mean when I look at my life there's been very it's been easy to forgive people because all that has happened in my life is people who've said things nasty, treated me nasty. But I haven't had betrayals like a spousal betrayal or, um, or or my parents doing me harm or my siblings doing me harm. I haven't been through that. But, but know this, that at the end of the day, if Maurice carries in his heart any resentment or unforgiveness against his sister, if you as a spouse carry in your heart resentment against the other spouse, these things are such toxic build-ups. Because if you don't forgive trespasses, you accumulate garbage. I'm not speaking out of experience. I'm just speaking out of what I know from the word and from other people's experience. The thing is to guard my heart against the root of bitterness. We are offended enough at what we hear on Fox News and CNN so that Christians begin to hate Obama. How silly is that? How many times do I keep forgiving? Lamech said that if he was harmed, he would murder or avenge people 70 times 7. In Genesis 4.24. Jesus takes that and reverses it on its head. He says if you are done harm. Lamech said he would hurt people 70 times 7. You are to forgive them 70 times 7. And I know I have displayed this before. But just to refresh our memory. If every time I ask him for a glass of water. He comes and gives me the glass of water. But whenever he gives me I hit him. The first time I hit him, he'll say, all right, it's okay. He go, I ask him for another glass of water. He brings me another glass of water. Again, I hit him. Third time, he's smart. Third time I ask him for a glass of water, he'll come. <laughs> he doesn't throw it at my face. He comes and leaves a glass of water here. And he stays about a feet and a half away from me. <laughs> because he can still give me the glass of water, but he will not be foolish enough to give it from within a radius of one and a half feet. He'll stay outside that radius because he'll still give me the glass of water, but he will not choose to get slapped again unnecessarily. Twice is enough. You only have, Jesus said, give the other cheek. Two cheeks are enough. That's all. After that, no more cheeks to give. (laughs) So that's it. Pardon? (laughs) Yeah. Guys, there's a process to reconciliation, huh? There's a pro- uh, I thought I would stop. Let me finish this, guys. Otherwise, half finished next time will be difficult. I'm sorry it's going to take 10 minutes. Reconciliation, the process of reconciliation. 
be it in a body or be it between individuals, there's a process. Uh, for forgiveness to be appropriated or to be uh, dished out, uh, we have to go through this, through these four stages, guys, which we prefer avoiding because these are not fun. Confrontation, confession, restitution, and uh, restitution and restoration. I'm hoping that this church will always use this method for things within the corporate body and that you will try and use this in your man-to-man relationships and even God and man deal like this. Huh? See, forgiveness and reconciliation must precede prayer and praise. Matthew 5.23 says, if you, have, if you know that your brother has something against you, before you come to the altar, go sort out things with him. Not even that if you have something against your brother. If you think your brother has something against you, it becomes your responsibility. So these are the four steps, be it in this church or be it in God and you and be it in man and man. So confrontation uh, requires us to understand that sin is not a private matter. Sin is not a private matter. We have made it a private matter, but sin is not a private matter. If I am aware of a sin in your life, not by guesswork, not by hearsay, but either through seeing it or through knowing it, where God has very clearly said it, then sin is no longer a private matter and I need to come and talk to you about it as you do me. So, now that I confront you with it, and it should be so, because the church belongs to Christ who is light and the church is called the pillar of truth. I love the word, um, one of the Greek words for truth which is aletheia, which means non-concealment. I love it. Non-concealment. What a life to live. Non-concealment. Where now that you know that there is an area of darkness that exists, I, if I'm aware of it, then I need to come and confront you with it. And this is one of the things that we are fortunate in because we are small. Because you can't do this on a large scale. Because we don't have time for it. And the Holy Spirit will convict and confront me on my sin, usually through people or through the word. One or the other. Many times people have come up to me and confronted me on sin. Roland has, Eddie has, Michael Scantleberry has, Jeannie has, some of you, once or twice you have, to confront me on sin. This is a privilege we have in a small church like this. Don't shirk away from it when it happens. Once that happens, guys... We then go on to confession. Confession is admission and agreement that yes, there is a problem. And without that ability to agree and admit and acknowledge it, there is no transformation really. So why even wait for confrontation? Uh, one of the things I really liked about uh, Eric is that um, in a certain situation, Eric was having a problem and I was going to take him with me to a place and before even going there, he said, Jacob, I need to talk to you. And he came and said, I've got a situation and a problem in this area, and I need you to know it ahead of time, and I want to bring it into the light because I want it to lose its power. I would have never known. Huh? But the reason he brought it up to the surface and exposed it is so that it would lose its power. 
had thought to myself, nuts man, even I wouldn't dare do that. If it was hidden, I prefer it being hidden. This doesn't mean we come up in front of the church every Sunday with a confession time and wear our heart out on a sleeve. That can be disastrous sometimes. I've done that and it's very disastrous. I went up, I know I told you this before, but I went up to the pastor of a church just before he goes over to preach and I confessed to him publicly in front of the church that I really hated him. <laughs> this was this was 20 years ago. It just didn't do him any good, nor did it do the church much good. I know, if you look at the mistakes I've made. It was very satisfying for me. It was like, uh, now I can enter into worship easily because my guilt is over. And the guy... <laughs> Yeah, I just hung an albatross on his neck, man. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, so that's the intent is not to confess publicly, but sometimes if you're struggling with an area, and I'm, I do it every so often with uh, some of these guys I've mentioned, where I'll go and say I'm struggling with this area. I remember coming back from a trip, and I was struggling in a certain area, and I remember telling Eddie about it. And the beautiful thing was Eddie says, Jacob, I used to have the same struggles. And then he told me how he overcame it. It was the first time I'd admitted something to Eddie without him having to pull it out or him having seen it. It really helped. Sometimes we do that. Confess your sins one to another or talk to the set man or the pastor or someone that you trust is operating at a level, hopefully, spiritually at a place higher than you. This is not accountability. eh? I do not believe in this accountability stuff where you and I sit every week and you tell me your sins and I tell you my sins. It's disastrous. I think I told you that too. Where I'd sit with this guy and he was married and he'd tell me such terrible sins that by the third week I started inventing sins, man. Because I was beginning to feel bad that... Um, he, he he would say, and what about you, Jacob? And mine would be stuff like, oh, I, I said a white light this week. And I realized this guy is not feeling encouraged. So I started fabricating sins so that he would feel, that, okay, at least he's with... And then I confess that line. Yeah. So it was quite a painful thing. Moving on. Then comes restitution. This is a hard thing. Restitution is when you deal with the fallout of your action instead of walking away from it saying, God has forgiven me, I'm okay now. This is very difficult. We would prefer burying the past, burying guilt, and just moving on. I hear this very often from people. Let's start afresh and uh, let's not visit the past. You cannot start afresh without dealing with the past. (coughs) Spouses do this too. The question may arise, should I tell the guy I'm marrying about all my affairs? Uh, It depends on situation to situation. That's not up for discussion right now. It's beyond the scope of what we're doing here. But Generally, the question, the thing that happens between people is they've sought God's forgiveness and it's taken care of. And now it is like, let's move on. Let's start on afresh. And you still haven't dealt with these issues of the past. And you cannot move on. Restitution needs to deal with the fallout of your action. I remember learning this very early where I told this person, I'm really sorry and all this stuff. A person said to me, so what about all the debris that you've left in your wake? And my reaction was, but the past is the past. No, the past is very present in the lives that you have just disrupted. Now you have to work at setting that right. 
If I've stolen money from you, I now need to make restitution. If I've coveted your wife, now I need to go through a process of discipline where my ways are straightened out. That's not how normal Christianity works. You can be restored in an instant by some apostle or prophet who will lay hands and say, the Lord forgives you. Of course he forgives you. But now let there be a process of discipline and restitution through which a person is brought back into normal. I mean, um, guys, two incidents um, that I want to highlight. One without taking permission from someone in this room. Uh, one is um, when, uh, when we had a problem with, um, uh, when I had a problem with Artie at the coffee shop. And he wouldn't even talk to me. He wouldn't give me coffee. That was the most dreadful thing. For three weeks, uh, I had to go buy coffee beans from other places and it, was, it sucked. There was, and so three weeks, he wouldn't talk to me. He would only talk to Heidi. He threatened to lock up the church. And this was around the same time that the Lord was saying, move. And I remember saying to some of you guys that we will not move till our relationship with this person is restored. And so I would go there even though he wouldn't talk to me. When he was sick, I would go give him soup. I would uh, buy him things. Not to suck up to him, but to show kindness. Took three months, guys. But in three months, the uh, the relationship was restored to better than what it was. And then we left. Because how you leave a place is how you enter the next place. Because you will always reproduce into your new phase what is left how you left I mean some of you when you left the last church you were in you went and spoke to the pastor of the church and sorted things out you didn't leave there with any animosity but you still went and got blessed and got released so when you enter this place you now are blessed this is the way I mean one of the things I don't like doing and I always have to do is sit with someone who's left a church and say okay so what were the circumstances and why are you here and how did you leave? I mean, we are a small church. The last thing you should do is that. You should just invite them by horde saying, there's 700 people, they bring 10 more. No, 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 no. You can reap a whirlwind if you're not careful. Because how you exit is how you enter. Otherwise, you just keep infecting your next phase with the same leaven that you had before you left. And only now it gets worse. Because the longer you keep leaven, the more it ferments and the more potent you get. it gets. So when you come into a new phase of your life, you're even more um, toxic than you were if you didn't exit properly. Unfortunately, many refuse and want a quick fix. And I would suggest to you that till restitution is complete, keep a healthy arm's length distance from the person who is refusing restitution with discipline. This is why we've set up Bob Cran and Eddie as two people that you can go to if I refuse discipline. And finally, restoration where wholeness and forgiveness is released to the person or to the body or to people in the body because they've gone through the process of discipline and restitution where whatever needed to be taken care of is taken care of. 
harm done. Is I mean, people, churches, they do nasty things to their pastors and then say, oh, now that the new pastor has come, let's begin all over again. No, what about the guy you messed up? We've got to live out this process of reconciliation because then it becomes a very wavy function. In all your relationships, begin to think along these lines in terms of these four things in a process. So let me end with this. Guys, now go home and do what you have heard if there is something outstanding that needs to be reconciled. We've got to be doers, not hearers of the word. So go home and gather the courage through your time with God to do what you have heard. And recall if there is any situation that needs to be rectified. And remember, the process of restitution is the hardest part. Where the harm that I have caused her is forgiven by God. And she may have forgiven me. But the debris that has been left in her life through the harm that I caused her, I now have to help either clean up or restore. That is the hardest part. Our lives are so interwoven that if I do her harm... It will affect Heidi. And because they live in the same house, it will affect Gisela. And because they're leaders in this church, it will affect you. Amazing, huh? Through one person doing. We are never isolated um, situations. What I do to you always affects a few more. Always. Then I walk a few extra miles till I know that at present there is no chance of them opening the door. I'll let it be. But I, I'll go at least two or three times. Uh, this is out of practical experience where I've done others harm. Gone again and again and again till they are offended enough to even open another wound. That's when I back off. Yeah, Guys, if I do you harm uh, and I'm not aware of it, come and uh, gently confront me with it. Con- confrontation always has to be gentle. Right? Good. Confrontation always has to be gentle, but if I have done you harm, and I'm usually if I'm not aware of it, you'll have to come and make me aware. And uh, there are so many ways that I may offend you. Uh, and when we talk about we'll we'll see whether there's substance for your offense. Expect this process of reconciliation to be applied with regard to your personal life and with regard to the corporate body. The other thing I want you to do is take a copy of this CD and give it to people who need it. Take a copy of this CD and give it to some people who need it.